or we almost feel unworthy to raise our hands to God because we have allowed sin within our lives and we realize how dirty we are. Yet it is only by the grace of Jesus Christ that we have the privilege of coming before him. It is by his grace, the fact that he has made an incredible sacrifice for us, that no matter how dirty we have become, he sets us free and he makes us clean. What an incredible privilege it is for us to be able to come into his presence. As we worship this morning, we're going to spend some time in God's word in a moment. Actually, I'm going to have you guys watch a video in just a moment. But I want you to consider how much grace and goodness God has extended to you. I know that nobody in here is perfect. And if you look at others around you and you think to yourself, well, if someone's perfect, it's that one. They would probably tell you that's not the case. All of us have needed his grace and his goodness to be extended to us. Consider what his grace has meant to us. I'm going to have you watch a video just for a moment. And this video is simply uh, entitled, A Prayer for Holiness. I will tell you that I, I began watching that video about three weeks ago. And I think I've watched it every morning as the start of my day. It's simply a prayer for holiness. It's a prayer that we would truly reflect the character of God. I will tell you that there is nothing that can make you holy except the presence of God in your life. Every individual in this room falls short of his holiness. As we listen to that song that talks about how dirty we are and how much grace we need, understand the only thing that make, can make you holy is his grace. It is the act of God's goodness toward us. Um, let me suggest that all the characteristics of a holy life are only made possible through the presence of the Holy Spirit. Some people will look and they will identify with certain aspects of holiness. And what will happen is we find, we find certain items that fit with the holy life. If we're going to live holy, these are things we should stand for. These are things that we should do. Politically, we stand against certain things like abortion. And uh, in a personal way, at times, we will uh, stand up for different things like poverty. Those who are struggling with poverty, we may see them on the street and we want to help them. Uh, there may be times that individuals might point toward an active devotional life and say, well, if I'm keeping this devotional life, then I am being holy. A regular attendance in church, we just participated in tithing a few moments ago. Some would say that if, if you do that, now you're participating as a holy individual. But all of these characteristics, although they, they should be present in the body of Christ, understand that by themselves, these are not what holiness is about. Holiness is about an intimate love relationship with Jesus Christ. It is about us knowing God so well that we begin to imitate him in everything that we say, everything that we think, and everything that we do. Remember Jesus' command to be holy just as he is holy? We are simply acting in obedience to his call. And the natural result of this intimacy with God is that we begin to reflect characteristics like his goodness and his kindness. Well, over the past few weeks, I will tell you that we've been doing a series that I have probably had more fun with than any series that I have done. I have really enjoyed working through this series. We have been looking 
specifically at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, where Paul identifies nine characteristics that ought to flow out of every individual who is filled with the Spirit, who experiences intimacy with God. The series has been entitled Spirit-Filled Evangelism, as it is only natural that as we are filled with the Holy Spirit, evangelism will take place in our lives. If you love other people, you will love them into the kingdom. You will do everything you can to introduce them to his goodness and his grace. If you are filled with a joy, you will become a contagious person where other people are going to want what you have. All of those characteristics, all of those fruits ought to result in an evangelistic lifestyle. We talked in the first message in the series about the fact that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, they are all three one. So when we reference intimacy with God, that can be referenced as intimacy with the Father or the Son or intimacy even with the Holy Spirit. Particularly though in this passage, we see God's reference as being the Holy Spirit. In fact, these characteristics are often referred to as the fruits of the Spirit. And so far we've seen that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience or forbearance or long-suffering, depending on which term you want to look at. And today I want us to combine two fruits and I want us to look at kindness and goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is kindness and goodness. Listen to the passage with me. It says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such things there is no law. In the 1987 film entitled The Untouchables, we see a young police officer partnered with an older, more seasoned officer. And they are tasked with tracking down the untouchables, stopping the mafia, which was dominating the American life at that time. As they team up, their names are Jimmy Malone, who is portrayed by Sean Connery, and then Elliot Ness, who is portrayed by Kevin Costner. And Jimmy says to Elliot, how far are you willing to go? A little bit later in the movie, as they have begun to deal with some hardship, and it seems as though they are not gaining ground, but rather it seems as if the mafia's influence is expanding, Jimmy once again poses the question to Elliot, how far are you willing to go? And then finally, as the movie nears its conclusion, and Jimmy Malone has just been shot multiple times and death seems inevitable. He mutters out the same question. How far are you willing to go? Well, as we look at our goodness and kindness this morning, I want to begin with this same question for you. How far are you willing to go? A little bit of goodness is a good thing. A little bit of kindness is a good thing. In fact, when we only give a little bit of such things, we can pick and choose who receives it. That kind of goodness and kindness is pretty easy. We can choose the individuals to be good to, we can choose the individuals to be kind to. Maybe they're people just like us. 
Maybe there are people that we relate to, people that maybe we could get something out of. If we're good to them, maybe they'll be good back to us. How far are you willing to go? When we only give a little bit, we may be able to do those things on our own because, after all, everybody seems to have just a little bit of goodness in their lives, a little bit of kindness. If your mom and your dad taught you anything, surely you learned how to be good. But understand this. A little bit of goodness and kindness leaves a whole lot of room for unkindness and ugliness. Where do they come from? Well, we've been looking over the past several weeks. We're talking about the Holy Spirit. As we've talked about over these weeks, the only thing that can adequately equip us to demonstrate these characteristics all the time, every moment of our lives, is the presence of the Holy Spirit. So clearly the source of our kindness and our goodness is God. You may say, well, that's one that I'm naturally good at. I've always been a kind person. Other people like being around me because I'm kind to them. I've always been a good person. Awesome. (laughs) But I wonder, are you truly that way with everyone? I mean, I, I know you can be kind to the people who are like you or people that you know the best, maybe those family members that you'll extend grace to very easily. Can you extend that same grace to other people in church, in your workplace? When someone pulls over in front of you when you're driving down the road, can you extend that same kind of grace and goodness and kindness to them? You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit takes it out of just the temporary and just the occasional thing. It becomes something that is a part of us, not something that we turn on and off whenever it's convenient to us, but rather we become people who naturally reflect these characteristics no matter what else is taking place. Truly, when the Holy Spirit dwells within your heart, goodness and kindness ought to be the things that flow out of you without even having to force the issue. Look at the role Jesus Christ played. We know that, of course, Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He, became, he came to be a sacrifice. But Jesus was set apart from others who had religious knowledge. There were Pharisees and Sadducees who they knew the law. They could quote the law. In fact, they had likely made up other laws that fit their own agenda. You see, they emphasize certain things and then they would neglect other aspects of the law that God had put in place. But truly goodness and kindness did not flow out of them. Yet Jesus, everyone he met, understood his goodness and his kindness. He had compassion on everyone that came in contact with him. There were times he spoke very directly to people. I mentioned the Pharisees and the Sadducees. There were times that they probably didn't think Jesus was all that good and kind. There were times Jesus would call them out on sin within their lives. And what they would do is almost crawl into their shell because they didn't want to hear about their own personal sin. They made like that woman at the well who wanted to change the subject when Jesus began to talk about her sin. The Pharisees were no different. In fact, they would call Jesus a hypocrite, a heretic. They wanted him to be crucified, and of course he was. The point is, there was something very unique in Jesus. He looked upon even the most ungodly person, and he loved them because he was truly full of the Spirit. By the Spirit's presence in your life, 
you can display goodness and kindness to every individual, even those people that seem unlovely. Now, what's the difference between goodness and kindness? There is a reason why I have grouped them together, and I think Paul grouped them together for a similar reason. Uh, There is a difference between the two, but there are also some similarities. These two characteristics are very related. In fact, in many ways, it seems as if we're looking at the same thing, but we're really not. There's a big difference. Consider that kindness is always described in relationship to another. It is an external thing. Kindness is the way you act toward other people or toward other individuals, the way you speak, the way you think. Kindness is an external thing. On the other hand, we have goodness, which is truly about what is internal. An example of kindness is I can be kind to my neighbor. I can speak kind words. I can do kind acts. But kindness is always in relationship to the way I treat other people. Goodness, though, is an internal thing that can result in treating people well. But it doesn't, it's not always about treating people. It's much more about me. I can, it can be in dealing with relationships, our goodness may show up. But it also can deal with anything else. It accomplishes Uh, that accomplishes its creative purpose. For example, this microphone can be a good microphone simply because it it accomplishes the purpose that it was created for. Goodness, in many ways, is an internal thing. Kindness is an external thing. Uh, Dictionary.com defines goodness as excellence in quality. Uh, That's more about what's on the inside. Now, let's, let's look at the two just briefly. Kindness. What does that look like from a scriptural standpoint? Consider two aspects of kindness. We'll look at the same two aspects of goodness in just a moment. We'll see that these are clearly demonstrated in scripture. First of all, God's kindness is demonstrated to us in many, many ways. I prayed this morning and during our prayer time, I focused specifically on the work that Jesus Christ has done for us. God's kindness is overwhelming to us. Every one of us, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. That was an incredibly kind act. God's kindness is demonstrated over and over and over again toward us. Even today, there are times that we look up and we think, what am I going to do? And God's kindness is being extended to us. There was a moment that all of us realized we were sinners and we cried out to God. And in his kindness, he responded. And he offered us that grace and forgiveness of sins. His kindness is demonstrated over and over again. Perhaps the clearest verse that demonstrates that is John chapter 3, verse 16, which says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. That was an act of kindness toward us. Do you realize how kind God has been toward you? Romans 2.4 says, Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and tolerance and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? The only way you enter into a right relationship with Jesus Christ is through his kindness. He has been very kind to you. Do you realize how kind he's been? The result of that is often we begin to reflect 
his kindness. Luke chapter 6 verse 35 says, but love your enemies and do good and lend expecting nothing in return and your reward will be great and you will be sons of the most high for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. Go back to that first phrase, but love your enemies. Sometimes being kind to people is a very difficult thing, especially if it's someone who's done you wrong. Especially if it's someone who, somewhere along the way, they have caused you a great deal of harm. You guys have heard me talk about my mom on multiple occasions. Probably the hardest struggle for her was forgiving her mother and her birth father and a stepfather for the sexual abuse that took place when she was a child. She struggled with it for years. She was meeting with her pastor one day. She had tried hard to do kind things, to sort of sweep it under the carpet and never really address the pain that was there. She was meeting with her pastor one day and he said, have you ever forgiven your mom and the men who did that to you? My mom, by the way, was one of, there were seven brothers and sisters and all of them had experienced this abuse at the hands of Uh, the birth father, and then a stepfather. My grandmother knew very much what was going on when someone from the school finally found out what had taken place. Uh, They had my stepfather arrested. My grandmother made the kids go back to the jail to apologize to him for what they had said. My mom actually, when the pastor asked her if she had forgiven them, her response was defensive. She hadn't done anything wrong, so why should she have to go to them and make things right? I will tell you, if we're talking about justice, my mom was right. She should not have had to be the one to do it. But we're not talking about justice. We're talking about grace. I remember the day my mom called me after uh, she had tried very hard to connect with my grandmother Uh, the birth father had already died. She made peace with him somewhat. Uh, The stepfather uh, had already died actually about a year before she had this conversation with our pastor. My grandmother was still alive. My mom had been trying to involve herself in my grandmother's life. And one day they were driving down the road to my sister's house. They had a birthday party to go to. If you've ever been in the D.C. area, traffic is horrible. You never want to be out there. Uh, Interstate 66 is one of the few roads where you can drive fast usually and you don't have to worry too much about getting pulled over or anything. So my mom's riding down the highway with my grandmother on Interstate 66 and they're probably doing 70 miles an hour. My mom denies they were going that fast, but I know my mom. Uh, They're driving down the highway And she looks over at my grandmother sitting in the passenger seat and said, I just want you to know that I forgive you for everything that happened when we were kids. My grandmother's response was, why? I didn't do anything to you. And my mom said she just wanted to reach over and open the door and push. (laughs) But she did not. Instead, she said, I need you to know that I forgive you. And I also ask you to forgive me for the bitterness that I have displayed all these years. 
In that one act of kindness, my mom opened up the door for my grandmother to receive grace. Three weeks later, my grandmother and my mom came down to my church where I was pastoring in Burlington, North Carolina. And at the end of the service, there was an altar call and my grandmother received Christ as her personal savior. And I firmly believe that that one act of kindness from my mom was what opened up the door for that to take place. Now, here's my question to you. Who in your life needs that act of kindness? Perhaps your act of kindness will become the tool that God would use so that they too might respond to the kindness of Jesus Christ. Who in your life needs that act of kindness? Romans 12.10 says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. And that term devoted does not mean just occasionally be nice to each other. Be devoted to one another in love. This is something that must be important. Ephesians 4.32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other. Listen to this, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. That act of kindness that we display toward other people, it should only be a reflection of the act of kindness that he has already extended to us. Do you realize how kind he has been to you? The second phrase in this passage is goodness. The fruit of the Spirit is goodness. Consider God's goodness to begin with. Mark chapter 10, verses 17 and 18, Jesus is being addressed by someone and he calls him good. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I will tell you, by the way, Jesus knew the answer that this man needed, but he calls him out. He says, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. A part of that is somewhat defeating because there's a part of that amongst us. We look and we think, well, that means I'm not good. If no one is good except for God alone, then how can I be considered good? It's actually a reflection of Nahum verse one, chapter one, verse seven, which says, the Lord is good. A refuge in times of trouble, he cares for those who trust in him. His goodness is evident. He sets the standard for what's good. It's about his character. Our goodness, on the other hand, is not always what it ought to be. I will tell you that the only way you can ever be considered truly good is to be filled with the Spirit of God. And when you are filled with the Spirit of God, you begin to recognize my goodness is not enough, but his is. Jeremiah 6, verse 16 says, this is what the Lord says, stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find rest for your souls. Romans 12, 9 says, love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, but cling to what is good. I believe very firmly that most people in the body of Christ want to do good. But at times we do not do good. 
I think at times we want very much to live in a godly manner, but at times we choose not to for some other reason. Even the young man who comes to Jesus and says, tell me, Lord, what must I do to be saved? I believe that that man was likely looking for something new. He knew the law. In fact, as Jesus questions him later, he basically tells him, you know the law, keep all of these things. Keep the laws that you've been given. And it's almost as if he's asking this question, hoping for something that's different. I've heard it said that almost every person in the body of Christ wants the truth. They want to do good. But as they want truth, they want a new truth. What do I mean? We want to be good. We want to obey the truth, but often we are hoping for some new truth that we will obey as opposed to obeying the truths that God has already put in place for us. Do you catch that? Often in the body of Christ, we want to do good. We want to obey the truth. We want to live by the truth, but not that truth because that's a hard truth for me to keep. Understand that when we become surrendered to the Holy Spirit, the truth that God has given us is good enough. We don't have to find some new truth that is more attractive. The Holy Spirit will empower us to walk in the truth. But we must choose to follow. We know the Holy Spirit's going to lead us. It's not a question. That's why the Holy Spirit's there, to guide us, to direct us, to remind us. The Holy Spirit's presence will naturally, if we allow the Holy Spirit to lead, will naturally lead us to that type of goodness. I want to challenge you today to understand how good and kind God has been to you. We're going to participate in communion in just a moment. And as we do, this is an opportunity for us to reflect on the goodness and the kindness of God. No one is good except for God himself. That is a reflection of his character. His kindness flows out of that goodness because he extends his kindness to us. It's an expression of his love. Have you considered how good and kind God has been to you? As we prepare to partake in communion, we're going to bow our heads and I'm going to ask you guys simply to take a moment in silence and to reflect on where God's kindness and goodness has been extended to you. If you would bow your heads and close your eyes. How has God demonstrated his goodness and his kindness to you? Have you truly experience the grace that only he could offer? What are the things in your life that you thought nobody could ever forgive me for? Somehow he forgave you. What are the things that you were trapped in and he made a way to set you free? Father, as we come before you today, Well, we begin by simply saying thank you for your goodness and kindness.
you have shown us a grace that we clearly did not deserve. Far too many times we have fallen short of your goodness. But that has not stopped you from offering your goodness and kindness to us. As we come before you now, Lord, we ask that you would once again extend your goodness and kindness to us. Where we have fallen short, we ask you to forgive us. Where we have found ourselves trapped in sin once again, we ask that you would set us free. Where there have been times that we have not been very consistent in offering goodness and kindness back to others. And right now we ask that you would truly make us your instruments, your ambassadors to the world around us. I think of individuals right now, family members, loved ones, individuals that for whatever reason we have allowed pain and sorrow to become a wedge between us and them. Lord, allow us to be individuals who would extend your kindness to them. Lord, I pray that they would sense that there is goodness in our hearts, not because we have become good people, but because we serve a good God who chooses to dwell in us. As we partake in communion today, Lord, I pray that you would remind us of exactly how good you have been. And don't just allow this service, these few moments, to be a time for us to reflect on your goodness and to display your kindness. But every moment moving forward, may we truly be your instruments of grace. Well, we know that these are just common, ordinary elements, bread and grape juice, But today they represent represent something much better. The forgiveness of our sins. The victory that was won on the cross. And the freedom and the hope and the promise of eternal life that only comes through your son, Jesus Christ. Lord, may you be honored today as we participate in this act. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I have asked several individuals to come, and they're going to help me this morning as we serve communion to you. Uh, And what's going to happen is uh, there's going to be two individuals who set up over here on this side, two that are going to set up here in the middle, and two that are going to set up on this side. And what I'm going to ask you guys to do is just to come forward when you are ready. If you want, you can come from front to back, or if you want to sit for a little bit and then think about it, then you come forward. I will ask that whatever aisle you're coming from, if you guys will come from... Your left, not, that would be my right, your left, and then go back the other direction just to make sure that everyone uh, can get through. The other thing that I would ask is this. Uh, if you are unable to come, I don't want anybody collapsing up front. We will bring you the elements. I want to be able to do that. It is our privilege to be able to bring it to you. Uh, what we understand is this is an act of remembering the grace that Christ offered to us. Don't feel obligated to come. If you would rather sit and just observe others, you're welcome to do that. But this is an invitation to all those who are children of God to participate in the celebration of the cross. So if those have already come forward, I will distribute these items. And as they get in position, we will invite you guys to come. Let me pray one last time before you come forward. Father, thank you again for the grace you've extended to us. Thank you for the cross. 
the body that was broken, the blood that was shed. Lord, as we participate in this time together, may you be honored. Help us, Lord, to truly reflect on what this act means. It's more than a ritual. This is a time to celebrate your sacrifice and the life that it has given us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I forgot to mention, if you would, uh, hold the elements until everyone has received it, and then we'll partake of it together. If you would, come at this time. Is there anyone who was unable to come forward to receive the elements that would like to be served in your seat? We would be more than happy to do so. Would y'all, Dr. Ellis? And Martha.
met with his disciples on the night that he was arrested. He shared with them about the things that would take place. He shared with them about the sacrifice and his body that would be broken. He shared about a betrayal. He talked about things that the disciples wanted nothing to do with, but it was absolutely what they needed. And the same is true for us today. While the cross may be an ugly symbol in many ways, without it, there is no hope. But today we have a hope and a promise. We have forgiveness of sins only because of what Christ has done. So this is a celebration. It is not just a time to mourn. As we celebrate Christ's sacrifice, Jesus himself said that his body would be broken. He said, every time you eat this bread, I want you to remember my, bro- my body that is broken for you. He then took wine, which was used in every meal in their culture. It was something that was so common to them that they would constantly be reminded of this. He said, every time you drink this, I want you to remember my blood that was shed for you because without that shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. But because he shed his blood, we have victory. As you partake of this grape juice, it's not wine, it's grape juice, but as you partake of it, I want you to remember the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for you. Father, as we come before you, we ask that you would truly make us a reflection of you. Thank you for your sacrifice. Thank you for the body that was broken. Thank you for the blood that was shed. Today we rejoice in who you are and the work that you have done. For today we are new creations. We look forward to seeing how you work in us as those who have been redeemed. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. I do thank each of you for being with us this morning. If you would, continue to pray for us, especially as we look to start the new service starting the end of September. Pray for us. God is going to provide, and we believe that, but we need your prayers. If you would, go in peace. Thank you for being with us.